Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to Awaken Podcast. I am your host, Michael Lombardo. I am, like always, excited to be with you guys here today. Um, for many of you who are listening to this, and maybe your first time listening to Awaken Podcast, um, we usually have a studio space that we use, and the sound quality is very crisp. Um, you saw, you, if you listen to a few different episodes, you would you would notice the the quality went down a little bit since COVID nineteen. We've worked on it. I think we're in a pretty good place right now. Um, but we should be back up in the studio in May. So I just want to give a little bit of a disclaimer there. If you hear a little disruption here or there, but I want to get into a scripture that I really feel like is the heart of what we're going to speak about today, and it's in Matthew twenty five verse forty. And this is a part of a, um, a parable. I'm not going to read the entire parable, but pretty much Jesus is talking about feeding the poor and visiting those in jail and clothing those who are naked. And he says, the king, which is him, will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And this is a scripture that I absolutely love. It's a, it's, it's a part of one of Jesus' parables in the, in, the, in the book of Matthew, in the gospel of Matthew. And my wife and I, our ministry really was centered around it. It still is. But for years, traveling the world on the mission field, living in Africa, living in Cambodia, you know, visiting India and being all over Asia, you know, our, our heart and our desire is to pour out our lives, you know, our ministry, Life Poured Out International, to pour out our lives and love those and take care of those who are in need. And, um, you know, for me, a huge thing is when you look at somebody and whether they're a believer or an unbeliever, looking at somebody, a child, uh, an adult, someone poor, you know, a Muslim, no matter where, no matter where you are in the world, looking at somebody and seeing the potential of Christ in them and seeing that they are made in the image and likeness of God and that he loves them and serving them as if you would serve Christ. And that is something that is, is on my heart. And the Lord spoke to me, you know, 10 years ago, you know, saying, serve others as if you would be serving me, see me in other people and serve them like you'd serve me. And so that's why I love my guest here on the show. She is doing an incredible work around the world, not just in the church, but among those who are broken and poor and defenseless. Uh, her name is Sarah Bowling. Um, she has an mission to take an eternal, to make an eternal difference in today's world. She's the founder of Saving Moses a humanitarian organization saving babies five and under every day by meeting the most urgent and intense survival needs where help is least available. And we're going to be going into that a little bit today, but Saving Moses provides therapeutic milk in Central Africa, offers community education around safe birthing practices in Central Asia, night care to babies as sex workers, etc. We're going to really dive into this and she's going to explain a little bit more, but she's a Bible teacher as well, international speaker, author, pastor. She loves the Bible. She does tons of teaching from the Bible. Um, she's the daughter of uh, Marilyn Hickey. Many of you guys know Marilyn Hickey. Her mother has been teaching uh, the Bible on television for more than 30 years. Um, and so anyways, no no further ado, I want to get Sarah on the show. How you doing, Sarah? Thanks for being with me today. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a joy. It's been, I think you came on the show maybe almost two years ago. So I'm glad to have you on again. And um, so for those who maybe didn't watch those shows or, you know, for those who aren't fully acquainted with your story and your ministry, tell us a little bit about yourself. I know that you grew up under your mother's ministry, Marilyn Hickey, but, um, how did you, um, tell us a little bit about your story, your background, and even maybe how you truly encountered the Lord. Cause I know that, you know, when you grow up in church, you know, you kind of learn, you know, about the Lord from your parents, but you, you, we all have our own experiences where we come into faith. And so share a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was born. My dad is a was a pastor. He he died some years ago. So grew up as a pastor's kid, and um, you know, always around church and all that. I wasn't the 
quintessential rebellious pastor's kid. I was pretty compliant, um, but in my early 20s, really wanted to know God for me and not just vicariously um, through my parents or my culture. Sure. And so I went on a search and looked at Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, and Christianity. <clears throat> and I read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Yeah. And uh, I was like, you know, if God, if God cares, want, wants anything to do with humanity, um, this seems, so to speak, logical to me. And so I uh, remember telling God I was driving on a long drive from St. Louis to Tulsa. I was like, God, you know, I believe in you a little tiny bit. If you can take that faith, this small quantity, you can have it, and I'll believe in Jesus. And so um, from that point, I, I really wanted to do my faith kind of, if I could, clean, you know, like as a fresh start, not necessarily go back to my roots and all that. Um, and at that time, I didn't really embrace much of the charismatic expression of Christianity. Yeah. I, I was more intellectual. Um, so I found a little bit more, uh, I liked better kind of some of the denominational expression, be that Lutheran uh, or Methodist, you know, kind of more traditional. So I did that for a little bit. And then I had a really radical experience with Holy Spirit uh, right before I got married. And felt like God said, I've called you into the ministry. And I'm like, oof, peace out. <laughs> I don't want to do that. <laughs> There's no way. I know what that means. It looks like you can take that and <laughs> run the farthest end of the galaxy with it. No, thank you. But uh -huh. I just felt, I felt Holy Spirit really pressing into me. And I was like, well, reluctantly, yes. <laughs> and so, but I really, it really was a, drastic turning point for me and uh i really dove into prior to that i was i loved reading my bible i did it pretty much every day for years um but really became a lot more serious and studious um we moved to denver to at that time i was living in kansas city after i got married and we moved to denver and joined up with uh, my parents church and maryland hickey ministries and my husband became like the executive vice president for all of that and a kind of administrative oversight. And I started doing Bible teaching. And prior to that, I had taught high school and junior high. Yeah. So I had to shift my thinking, different audience. <laughs> yeah. The way you teach a teenager is totally different than the way you teach an adult. So that was interesting. And uh, then started doing TV with my mom and been doing that now for well, over 25 years and all kinds of different things. So I love teaching the Bible. Went on to do some Greek and Hebrew so I could kind of get some original languages. And, and uh, yeah, I love it. And I started an organization called Saving Moses around seven years ago. And the idea is Moses was three, three months old in the Nile River. Um, and his life was hanging by a thread. And Pharaoh's daughter rescued him. And he went on, you know, we read Genesis, Exodus. I mean, think about who he is, what he did but his life was hanging by a thread at three months old. And so the idea is uh, babies and toddlers, and I started looking at it around the world, and no one organization is strictly devoted to babies and toddlers. And uh, and I thought, well, that that totally resonates with and for me in my heart. And I looked at it, Holy Spirit's all about babies and toddlers. And if, you know, for our audience, people are like, yeah, that's just some random statement. But if you look at Luke chapter one, and this is the birth and, you know, like John the Baptist 
and his mom and his dad, all three of them had drastic, dramatic Holy Spirit encounters. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, would not have been pregnant without Holy Spirit overshadowing her. Yeah. I mean, Holy Spirit is very keen on babies and creativity. And oh, so I think that's people like thing, huh, that's kind of bizarre. But we have to give give attention to that and respect the important value of it. Oh, absolutely. I just love even going back to your story a little bit, how you encountered the Holy Spirit before you got married. That's very important. <laughs> you know, having the Holy Spirit in your marriage, and even you've written uh, a lot of books about the Holy Spirit. So you've built a beautiful and powerful relationship with the Holy Spirit and your knowledge of the Bible, you know, regarding walking with the Holy Spirit and to pursue with the Holy Spirit. Well, now you're sharing with other people how to really gain that understanding and how to walk with him as well. And I know that even the story of saving Moses was very spirit led and inspired. And you just wrote a book called Hanging by a Thread, The Saving Moses Journey. Um, yeah, I love, yeah, I would love for people to get a copy of that book. I've heard a lot about your ministry just talking to you, but like, um, I know this is this was put on your heart, and you've been doing this for a while now. Is there was there a specific instance, or how did the Holy Spirit specifically lead you and put a burden exactly on your heart for this? Yeah, so that's I was uh, on a mission trip and kind of organizing or helping lead one with Teen Mania in Ethiopia, and uh, we went to like a remote city, and um, we were doing like VBS Vacation Bible School in this orphanage. And uh, for in surrounding community, and one of the friends on the trip said to me, "Hey, Sarah, did you hear? Did you go see those babies that were abandoned on a field?" And this was well, this was well before saving Moses. And I was like, "What are you talking about?" He's like, "Well, there were some newborn twin girls born, and somebody abandoned them on a field, and the orphanage, with reluctance, accepted them, but you know, into their care just a few days ago." Have you seen them? And I'm like, no, what are you smoking? I mean, I couldn't get that because I was like, an orphanage means taking care of kids. And so I went and I I held Sarah and Ruth and they were like, I don't know, super small. So who knows how many days old they were? I mean, just little tiny bundles. And I asked the orphanage, I was like, why would you say no? Because initially the orphanage said no when the police called them and said, hey, can you take care of these abandoned twins, these newborns? The orphanage said no, and I asked, why would you do that? I mean, you're, you're quote-unquote, an orphanage, right? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. And the orphanage said to me, the director, and he, just great people, good hearts, and he said, well, Sarah, you have to appreciate that we have limited resources. And mm -hmm. because of limited resources, if we have, like, $10, we can take care of 20 10-year-olds, you know, with the $10. But if we add in babies we can take care of drastically fewer kids because babies take so much resources. I mean, you think about formula diapers, you know, and just even care, like exactly. somebody paying attention to a baby and self-sufficiency, a 10 year old versus a six month old, not even in the same ballpark. And so he said, that's, that's why we have this policy. And so when I went and looked at it, I found that generally orphanages around the world, that's generally true. Obviously there's exceptions, but, Holy Spirit started to really deal with me and say, hey, you know, talk about least when you do this to the least of these babies and toddlers can often be overlooked and specific needs for them. So that's kind of what was a little bit of the impetus or the beginning point, kind of the launch, if you will, like to explore this whole whole opportunity, whole ministry. It's, it's been pretty astounding. 
I love how the Holy Spirit will put you in circumstances where you see a need, you know, and, and you inquired, like, how come, you know, but it was the Holy Spirit uh, just, you know, enabling you to ask questions and be burdened by this. And then, you, you know, you see the need and then you receive a burden for it. And then he gives you divine ideas to really empower you to move forward and gives you vision to really make a difference. Um, I absolutely love that. And, you know, even just my wife and I living in Cambodia for um, six months, so it was almost close to eight months of our, uh, when we were newly married, my wife got pregnant in Cambodia, but that was, you know, I, I tra- before I was even married, I traveled to Thailand, Laos, Malaysia, and I saw a lot of poverty. I saw a lot of children that were, you know, suffering, but specifically in Cambodia with the sex trade, um, you know, with, with, with sex trafficking and everything like that. It was just seeing children, boys, girls offering Westerners, you know, uh, sexual favors and things like that. And it was just heartbreaking. It was you know, such deep darkness, you know, seeing um, what the people were under and then prostitutes. And I know you do a lot of incredible work with um, taking care of um, prostitutes, children in Cambodia. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Is it really, it moves me because I was, I saw it in front of my very eyes, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and if you think about babies, toddlers of sex workers in developing countries, they are, and I, I think it's hard for us as Americans to get our head around why that's what, like, we don't get it, but so many of those moms and dads um, are in the sex industry or sex workers because it's their day-to-day survival. Yeah. Um, and you know this from living in Cambodia, and I've seen this across the board. These these individuals, they're not educated. They don't have a skill. They don't read. They don't write. They don't have any kind of skill. And like in Cambodia, the unemployment rate has been you know anywhere from. I don't know, 10 to 20%. And so these moms, young girls come in from the provinces into Phnom Penh, the capital, um, because their parents send them to look for work and send money home. And so they come in with, I mean, what are they going to do? There aren't any domestic jobs available as far as like house cleaning or cooking or whatever. There's none of that available. And so what, how are they going to, how do they, how do they feed themselves, let alone send money back to their family? And so, it's kind of a, a sad, you know, play of events, turn of events for them. Um, and what I found too was there's a lot of organizations that help these moms or help the sex workers. And and there's a load of, you know, NGOs, we call them NGOs, they're nonprofit organizations. Yeah. Some of them are secular, some of them, you know, are, are religious based, but there's not one organization devoted to their kids, to their babies. Specifically looking after mm-hmm. the needs for the babies and the toddlers. And so when I was in Bangladesh, this is an example, I asked, I was at the largest brothel in Bangladesh and I surveyed the moms and said, Hey, what do you do with your baby while you're working? Eight out of 10 of those moms said, The baby's on the bed with me as I'm working. Wow. Wow. That's And horrendous. if you think about it, like in America, we have daycare. Moms go to work, drop off their babies at a daycare. Mm-hmm. Well, if you think and take away all of your moral assessment, you know, they shouldn't be in the industry. Okay, okay, I get it. I, not That's not my point. My point is, what do these moms do with their babies while they're working? And so if you want to have any impact on the industry, start with the baby. Because their worldview is formed by the time they're three, five years old. Mm-hmm. And so if they're on the bed with mom as she's working and that's their day-to-day normal, well, what makes you think they're going to have a different perspective if that's all they've seen? Yeah. 
and all the atrocities I'm sure they experience as well. God, God only knows what what kind of men are involved, you know, where the children could be subject well, to abuse as well. And and that's what those moms told me from that brothel. They said immediately, they said it's not uncommon for a client to roll over and molest my toddler when he's done with me. Oh my God, it's just heartbreaking stuff. And it's you know here in the Western world, you know we hear about it. We might we might see a small commercial of kids that are that are poor and that are hungry, but we don't experience it, you know, firsthand. And so that's why I feel like, you know, hearing these stories is, are, are, you know, are, it's going to open people's eyes. It's going to move them. It's going to, it's going to break them out of their box and what their needs are and realize there's people in the world that are severely hurting children, men, women, and children and babies. And that's why, like what, when, when we read your book, Hanging by a Thread, The Saving Moses Journey, I'm sure you're going to get into, in, in that book, I'm sure you get into a lot of stories. And I really would love people to grab a hold of that book. What should people expect when they, when they get their hands on Hanging by a Thread? So it's not, and I think a lot of times people are like, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to be super dark and discouraging. But in actuality, it's not. It's a book full of hope. And it's not just, what I really tried to do when I wrote the book is I try to think about my reader and think about what they go through and about who, you know, how they're organized inside, how God made each reader is very distinct. And so I like the book because I think it really gives people hope and and explore possibilities because not everybody, Michael, you and I were kind of like trailblazers and we like to get out there and be adventurous, but not everybody's like that. Some individuals are, you know, more conservative. They like to, so to speak, stay home. Or they like, you know, kind of a little bit more of a of an office setting for for doing work. And I talk specifically to individuals like that and say, hey, look, here's a way that you can participate and think about some opportunities for taking your skills, your passions, your what you're good at, and employing those um, in compassionate out outcomes. So, for example, I talk about um, my operations director, Heidi. Heidi's brilliant. I love Heidi. I affectionately call her Pinky in the brain. She's okay. the brain and I'm Pinky <laughs> because she's super, super smart and she's phenomenal in, every, in all of the giftings and stuff. And so we, we complement each other super well because, and she loves, she loves what we do. I mean, she is so passionate about saving Moses and her skill set lends itself to, to create, to do infrastructure, to keep the operational systems in place. And so I think the book really speaks to all kinds of people. It talks about, you know, other individuals who are, you know, on the, on the front lines in Cambodia and Bangladesh. It talks about individuals who have just volunteered and said, Hey, I want to, you know, provide what I know well uh, and make it available to what you guys do. And so I think it really provides and provokes readers, um, no matter what they're, their perspective is that they can participate in something bigger and enjoy investing and, and, and helping propel something bigger than themselves. Yeah, no, I agree. And so for people, cause I strongly recommend people to get involved, learn more about what you're doing and even invest in what you're doing. Cause I believe in it so much, but what, a how I think that people like to hear, you know, I haven't spoke to you about this in like a year and a half, and I know a lot has probably happened within that time frame. Can you share with us some stories of just some amazing breakthroughs you've seen, or maybe even some statistics of what's been taking place, you know, in the different places that you guys have saving Moses in the world. So people could really hear some of the advances in what's taking place. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you statistics <clears throat> in terms of like 
for like what we do in malnutrition um, and our our survival ring uh, for malnutrition without our malnutrition clinics. Um, the survival rate for our babies and toddlers, that's probably between 20 to 40% without the clinic, they survive. But with our clinics and the therapeutic milk we provide, um, our survival rate is well over 90%. Wow. Um, and we have seen within the last two years, yeah, we've seen the number of babies coming to our, for whatever reasons, the number of babies and toddlers have basically doubled um, needing malnutrition clinics. And so that's been really, really um, encouraging, but also concerning seeing, seeing the needs. And I think what happens to me is, you know, I can give you numbers, but what always gets me is like an individual. So Belito, Belito is one of the first babies that I met and he was in the malnutrition clinic. um, And, you know, basically about at death's door, almost ready to, to die. And the malnutrition clinic with therapeutic milk, he stayed there for about three weeks with his mom. Um, and after three weeks, he went home. And I remember we brought brought his mom, you know, some, some additional formula. We brought his mom some food and stuff at her house and helped her understand how to make the formula because she doesn't read. <laughs> yeah. And so Belito, every year that I've gone back, um, I have visited Belito. And Belito now is about, eh, he's probably close to 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And um, he's a fun little guy. He's kind of, he's very like thoughtful. So he's not like this really energetic and, you know, he's not an extrovert. He's very thoughtful and he thinks about stuff deeply and he doesn't warm up easily. Yeah. But when you see him, when I see him every year, I go back to that baby experience when he almost died. And the fact that I see him today <clears throat> or this year or whenever I see him last, the fact that I see him alive, doing well, engaging, growing, school, getting educated. I mean, it just really is encouraging because it's like, here's Belito now. And his life was hanging by a thread. He survived. And who's to say who he's going to go on to be? You don't know. Yeah. And it may not be somebody great. It might be somebody great. But the point of it is that we have genuine love. Mm-hmm. And because love motivates us, you know, we want to see, see babies survive and thrive. And so, and then I think about some of my babies in in Cambodia, and I know there's been a couple of toddlers who their moms came and talked with us and said, "Hey, thank you so much for praying with my little girl. Um, would you please pray with me? I want to change my job." And so our nannies and our workers in our night care centers, you know, prayed, and and then we get to when they do that, you know, we'll, we'll part. We have partner organizations that that they can say, "Hey, here, refer them." to these organizations that help with the moms and do some alternative vocational training and stuff. So it's just cool to see some of that happen. And it's not always like that. Americans, we always want a success story yeah. and it's not always that, that way. I sure. have a little girl. Um, her mom would not let her come to night care because she needed her to sell condoms to her clients. This little girl was about three or four years old. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, the mom eventually died. Um, she was a drug addict. And the little girl, I've never, I haven't been able to keep in touch with her. And that just breaks my heart. Yeah. You know, after how many years, it breaks my heart. So I want to say, oh, it's all successful, you know, and the clouds part and there's no, no, no rain or, <laughs> or snow. But it's not always true. But no matter the outcome, my heart is for genuine love. And I want to express and, and demonstrate that 
mm-hmm. really, really well. Yeah, and you know, there's two cups that we drink from. You know, the cup of joy, you know, and and the cup of suffering. You know, it talks about in the scriptures that we, um, you know, become one also with the sufferings of Christ. And his heart is broken when people are trapped in darkness and they don't break free. And the enemy, you know, kills, steals, and destroys from you know their lives. And you know, we get to also, you know, do do what we can. But even just with all the overwhelming needs, right? There's such an element of trust. You can't possibly do everything, but you can take the loaves and the fishes that you have, break them and, and, you know, raise them up to the Lord and ask for him to bless them and do what only he can do, you know? And, um, at the same time, you know, you do have those, you know, the, uh, you know, the stories of absolute joy where there's victory and there's results. And then you have suffering, you know, um, you know, involved in all of that too. And I just, I just love, you know, it's, it's, it's a faith walk for sure. I'm sure you've, you know, it's it's been a process as well. I'm sure even just going into this, you guys have had some setbacks as well as victories. And so, um, I'd love to eat how, how long. Yeah. And I think that's part of the journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know there's people out there that have a passion, um, for the lost and they have a passion to do things like this. I know in, in Bible school and, you know, be, being in the mission field, you meet all kinds of people that have, you know, drive and ambition to do a great, you know, great and amazing things for the Lord. And I know that it's a process and it's a daily yielding and a daily walking with him and just, you know, moving forward and taking steps in that direction and trusting for God to open the doors and everything. But how would you, what would you say to people who have large dreams and aspirations and ambitions that want to make a difference in the world for Jesus? Maybe they have this big vision, like to, you know, preach the gospel to millions of Muslims, or maybe they just want to have orphanages all over the world, or whatever God has spoken and whispered to them. Considering you've you've been doing this, you've been walking with the Lord, you've you've done amazing things, and you're you know, and you and you will for years to come. But what would you say to people like that that are listening right now that need some encouragement because they just don't know what to do practically when they have a vision from the Lord? Yeah, I first thing is make sure that love, genuine love, is the motive. You know, Jesus talks about that in John thirteen. He says, people recognize, know that you follow me by your love. Um, and if we're not loving, then, I mean, that that's really kind of the barometer. That's the measure. Yeah. Um, if we're just doing it for transaction, you know, to get, get recognition or numbers or achievement, if that's our motive, then we probably need to have some time with Holy Spirit to recalibrate that internal motive. That's, that's got to be essential. And I think even to that point, letting God love us, I think sometimes we don't love well because we don't let God love us. We try to earn it, try to, you know, achieve it, you know, lots of, so I think letting God love us and, and this is a, a good season to do that. Let God love us because we can't earn it. We can't, you know, increase it. We can't like accessorize or whatever, just let God love us and that overflow. And it says it in Romans 5, 5, love of the father is poured into our hearts through Holy spirit. So I think love has to be the ground zero motive. And then from there, I mean, love people around us, (laughs) love our family. God forbid we win the world and lose our family. Yeah. That seems, (laughs) you know, counterintuitive. Um, But I think love, and then serve, serve in church. And you know, people are like, oh, that's just stupid. I'm not going to do that. But if we can't serve locally and love locally, 
it's not really going to translate well if when we get to do it potentially overseas somewhere else. And I think, you know, be faithful in the little and God says, okay, then we can multiply into bigger things. But, but again, I think it's, it's in our hearts, what's in our hearts, what's our motive and, and doing that now where we live in the world that we live in here. And then being obedient because as we're obedient, God opens doors. And I, I wouldn't say this as well. And I find this to be really important. There's a point where there's persistence that you've got to be persistent. You know, it says it in Galatians 6, 9, you know, endure. It's great when you endure and you persist, you reap a harvest. However, um, I also think that there are doors that God closes and, and sometimes we want to beat our head against that door. But I, I think that we would be wise to pray for discernment. Is this a door that God has closed? Because if God closes a door, no man can open it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a beautiful thing to even just always pray to the Lord. Lord, is this, is this your door or is this, you know, because there's, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. Even in my travels, I remember... I remember when I uh, I was in the Philippines for a month. God specifically called me to the Philippines. I was preaching there for a month with one of my close friends, and I didn't know what to do after that. You know, I didn't have a plan for after the Philippines. This is about seven or eight years ago, and um, there was about three or four opportunities to go to Thailand and go to India and go to different places, and there was a lot of great opportunities. Everything looked great in the natural. All of them, you know, I'd say most of them had some kind of, um, you know, uh it just, it was in tune with who I am and my calling. And so I could have stepped in any one of those uh, opportunities. And I remember praying and and worshiping, getting alone with the Lord on the beach over there in the Philippines, actually at like 8 PM. And I remember just saying like, Lord, like there's doors and there's God doors. Like what, which one would you have for me? And I think a prayer that has been huge for me, first of all, getting alone with the Lord, getting sincere, you know, dying to your own desire, even of just like, Oh, what, what do I want to do? It's like, no, you know what? I just want to do what, what, you know, I want to go where the Lord wants me to go. I want to do what he wants me to do. And so your prayer is like, Lord, just close every door that's not of you and open up the right one and help me understand that. When you pray with that kind of surrender and sincerity, you know, you, uh, you do get the response, you know, and even that evening, it doesn't always come right away. So we want it to come right away. The answer sometimes, but even, but that evening I actually went to sleep and I had a dream that I was back in Mozambique and I woke up and I forgot about the dream. And, uh, and I started to pray and read my Bible and then the Lord re- highlighted and, and reminded me the dream I had that I was back in Mozambique and I wound up back in harvest school, um, you know, being, uh, you know, Heidi Baker's ministry, um, Iris Global over there. I wound up back at there, but I was a staff member. I, I applied to be a staff member and I met my wife in that time. And so the Holy Spirit led me. I could have went in through any one of those missionary doors, but the Lord specifically led me to Mozambique. And so I just, I love what you say, because it's very practical and people, you know, they, they wonder how, how could I be led by the Holy Spirit? How could I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You know? Um, and so I feel like that is very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we have to also consider that Holy Spirit leads people in different ways, you know, and different, and, and we have to be open to that creativity because Holy Spirit is creative. So Holy Spirit, like leading me with saving Moses is very, very creative, very creative. And there was, for a while there, people were like, well, you know, nobody's doing that. You need to be like everybody else. And I just couldn't get away from that. I was like, no, I'm not, I can't do that. I can't, quote, be like everybody else. Yeah. And so I think being open to that creativity is very, very helpful. And 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 being willing, I think, to play with Holy Spirit, you know, let Holy Spirit kind of lead and guide and help you enjoy the journey is really, really essential, too. 
Yeah, and so how could people, you know, there, there's some people right now that, you know, this is the first time hearing about Saving Moses, and I highly recommend getting a copy of Hanging by a Thread, The Saving Moses Journey, so you can learn more about it. But how could people connect to your ministry? Because I know you have a teaching ministry. Um, you're doing great things through Saving Moses. Are, are there a few different websites they can go to? How could people connect? Sure. Sure. So Saving Moses, we have our own website, savingmoses.org. And of course, we're on Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Um, great opportunities to connect there, um, see what we're doing, read some cool blogs, watch some videos, and share with your friends. That's fantastic. And then um, for Bible teaching, I'm just launching something called genuinelove.org. And that's a great resource for some of Sarah Bible teaching stuff. And uh, it's really fun and new. And Michael, like you're the first person I've got to share that with on this podcast. So it's pretty exciting. It's brand new, fresh out of the gate. And I'm pretty excited about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you so much for sharing your heart. Even as you talk, like you, uh, you remind me of Mother Teresa, even just with your heart to care, you know, to take in babies and to care for the least and to love God, to receive love from God, to love God and love others. It just kept, she kept popping in my mind as you were talking. And so thank you so much for your heart and just representing the simplicity of the gospel in the heart of Jesus. Michael, you're awesome. I always, always love hanging out with you. It's always super fun. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Awaken Podcast. Definitely grab a hold of her book, tap into her resources, go to her website. Um, and um, it's a blessing to be with you guys. Thank you for tuning in. Rate, review, uh, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends and family so we can get this out to more people so they can be encouraged, blessed, strengthened by the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love you guys. Bless you. And talk to you next time on Awaken Podcast. <laughs>